We turn now to verse 17 of Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to spend two sessions on 17, even though it's such a short little verse with essentially two parts, because each one is so tremendously important for our day in very different ways. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit or your account. So we're going to spend this session simply on those words right there. Not that I seek the gift. I'm going to put this in context and then look at Paul's seemingly oversensitivity. He's not overly sensitive, but at first glance, you want to say, Paul, why are you so afraid of being seen to be greedy or doing ministry for the sake of money? What, what's behind that concern? So, Father, as we, as we talk about this, deliver us, deliver us from the love of money or using godliness for gain or using ministry to make more money and bringing horrible reproach upon the gospel like so many prosperity preachers in our day. Oh, Lord God, help us to get what Paul is doing here, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we need to see this in context again. Um, remember back in the previous paragraph, he rejoiced that they at length had revived their concern for him. In other words, they had sent him through Epaphroditus a gift of money. So it looks like, oh, I'm so excited that you have sent me a gift. And then he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So he's, he's got this knee-jerk reaction, it seems, or a very thought-through reaction. I don't want to give the impression that I do my ministry for money. So I'm not that I speak of being in need. And he gives his argument that whether he has, uh, whether he's brought low or whether he's abounding, whether he is facing plenty or hunger, abundance or need, he has learned to be content. And this contentment frees him from the temptation and the accusation of ministering for the sake of money. Like when he said, I rejoiced greatly. Finally, somebody gives me what I want, money. No, he's protecting himself from that. And so he almost goes overboard here to put their gift in a position of, I don't need it. <laughs> and then he, and then of course he goes back to verse 14 or goes forward to verse 14 and says, yet, <laughs> I don't want you to, I don't want you to misunderstand. It was kind of you. You did the right thing in sending me this gift. And then he tells him how good it was. And then he can't let it go. Once he has said, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my need once and again. He says, but, but I'm not after your money. <laughs> now, I want to know what's going on here. Do, do we talk like that? When, when we receive an honorarium or a gift or a salary in ministry, are we finding ways to give evidence of not doing this ministry for money? Does it burden us like it seemed to burden Paul here? So, let's see if this is an exception 
Here's First Thessalonians 2.5. We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. I did not come out of greed. He almost swears. He doesn't want them to think I'm coming to you with a cloak of greed, a pretext, a cover-up, really what I want. I'm, I'm giving you the impression that I love you and I'm trying to get you saved and go to heaven. But really what I want is money. And he's just so desperate not to give that impression. Or that was when he's talking to Thessalonians. Here he's talking to the Ephesians in Acts 20. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. I worked so I wouldn't have to give the impression that I was working for your money. I was making my own. Or 2 Corinthians 2.17. We're not like so many peddlers of God's word. That's a belittling description of what he doesn't want to be. I, I'm not a peddler. I don't go from city to city and wind up in jail and beaten with rods and stripes five times 39 lashes in order to sell anything. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. What? What's behind this? Well, Titus 1.11 says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. There were people who were becoming Christians, and they weren't real Christians. They were just going to use it to milk people out of money. And so you had to teach. Paul had to teach that the elders shouldn't be this way. An overseer, Titus 1.7, as God's steward, handling God's money, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant, quick-tempered, or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. You've got to test a man to see if he's living for money. Does he care about money? Is that why he's trying to get a higher position in the church, is to get more money? And Peter, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, nobody twisting your arm, but loving it willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Love your work. Love your work because of its beautiful intrinsic value of loving people and saving people and bringing people into likeness to God and filling people with worship for God. Let that be your reward, not money. So, that's what's behind this seeming overreaction. Not that I'm seeking the gift. No, no, no. Please don't hear me as I extol you here for sending the gift. Don't hear me as thinking, well, that's what I live for. I live for you sending money to me. This has always been an issue, right? This has always been an issue. It is today with prosperity preachers who sell the gospel, ask for your money on television, just send us your money, give us your money, and fly around in their big expensive jets and drive their big cars and wear their expensive clothes and milk poor people out of their money. It was, it's always been this way. Here, here's Johann Tetzel. In 1519, one of Luther's great adversaries who went around selling those things called indulgences, 
so that if people gave money, they could buy somebody's escape from purgatory. And they had the slogan, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Well, that's, that'll sell, right? Paul hated peddlers of God's word. He did not want to be one of those. He wanted us not to be one either. Why? Why was it such a burden? And I think here's the clue. 1 Timothy 6. There are people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So depraved people, truthless people, full of imaginings, not word of God, they imagine that godliness and ministry for godliness is a means of gain. And then he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You realize with this word contentment that Paul is back where he was in Philippians. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. That's why I'm not speaking out of need, being in need, when I am thankful for your money. I am content. And remember we said the secret of this contentment was what? The secret lay right here in 3.8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, Christians are people who have ceased to love money because Christ has taken the place of their supreme value. Christ is now where money was. We can't serve God in money, Jesus said. Christ is your treasure. Money won't be your treasure. You want to live for Christ, you won't live for money. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. That's what money has become. And so the reason the reason that Paul is so jealous here to say it's not that I seek the gift is because if he were perceived as ministering for money, he would deny the supreme value of Christ and thus dishonor Christ rather than magnifying him. Next time we take up, well, if you're not motivated by the gift, why are you celebrating their gift? And the answer is here next time.